Welcome back. This week, the federal civil rights trial began for the three former Minneapolis police officers um, relating to actions stemming from their roles uh, in the George Floyd death. As you know, Floyd was killed after he was arrested um, by Minneapolis police officer uh, Derek Chauvin, exerted pressure on his neck during the detention. As you also remember, Chauvin was convicted in the state charges and was sentenced to 22 and a half years. He also pled guilty to federal civil rights charges, but he hasn't been sentenced on those charges yet. And so now we have the three officers going to trial for the first time on the federal civil rights uh, charges. And with us to discuss the issue is Chicago's very own Dan Herbert of the Herbert Law Firm. He was a Chicago police officer for 10 years, winning a Distinguished Service Award. He attended night school, master's in criminal justice, then a law degree. He was a Cook County prosecutor, and now he uh, does all kinds of work representing uh, police officers and and other people in personal injury and other matters. Uh, He represented Chicago police officer Jason Van Dyke, who uh, in the Laquan McDonald uh, shooting. Hi, Dan. Welcome to the show. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, my pleasure, Karen. So let's talk about this. these charges uh, of federal civil rights. And I think people are very confused because they think we have these state charges and we have the federal charges and isn't this double jeopardy? And what is the, the difference, the basic difference between the, the federal civil rights and the state cr- criminal charges? Well, it really just comes down to they're, they're just different statutes and in, in, uh, different um, prosecutorial, prosecutorial agencies. Um, one deals with the state crime, uh, which would involve murder, second-degree murder. And then the other is a uh, criminal deprivation of uh, an individual's civil rights, which, um, which generally utilize the same elements as, as a state case. But, of course, it is not... Uh, double jeopardy because of those reasons. Okay, so and I think a lot of people when when they when they talk to me and they say like, "Hey, as a lawyer, you saw this case. Like, what what would be your strategy in representing one side or the other?" So you're sitting there with your in your armchair, kind of Monday morning quarterbacking, and you've got these three officers who have these accusations uh, in the George Floyd case. What are you thinking about as a defense lawyer for for police officers in how you would defend something like this? The first thing is you really have to think about your client and your client's role in the event um, compared to the other individuals. You know, if if there is different um, circumstances surrounding your client that are mitigating or are more explainable to understand some of the actions, then you want to play up on those, such as if a, an officer were uh, were working with more senior officers, um, if an officer uh, had a role that uh, perhaps was in a position where he couldn't see as much or was in a position where he arrived perhaps at a later time and didn't have as much knowledge as the other officers. So you definitely want to try and uh, distinguish your client in a good way from the other officers since they are going to be tried together. And then, you know, obviously it's, you have to influence that trier effect and you, you really want to try and um, you want to put that trier effect in a position where um, not only do they have sympathy for your client, but also they recognize, you know, that your client was, was doing uh, his job as he was trained, as he was taught. uh, So as to kind of, you're almost shifting the blame to um, to the administration for some bad policies and, and their role in it as being somewhat mitigating 
considering the fact that they were, uh, you know, the, the they, they were the victim of a, a system that was really broken, which, you know, many police departments were as of a few years ago. So I'm, I, and I'm going to circle back on that because I do want to talk about chain of command and how, how you make that argument. But, but the other thing is, I, I, you know, Chauvin is in jail, and I'm sure the officers are, you know, making some sort of argument, whether it's Im- implicit or, you know, it's outward, is that the guy's in jail who did it. He's the one who did it. So we were peripheral. He was in charge of the scene. He was the senior guy. We The things that we were doing you know, weren't, you know, I'm sure that's that's what the argument is going to be. But do you think that the police officers are going to turn on each other, too? Or do you think they just need to distinguish themselves? You said you didn't say turn on each other. You said they were are going to distinguish their particular role in the event. Yeah. And sometimes it it does come down to not necessarily flipping or or turning on uh, another co-defendant. But, um, you know, if there's circumstances that are unique to your client, such as, you know, being a junior officer and um, being someone that um, really wasn't in a position uh, as much as a senior officer to, to step forward. You know, you know, Karen, it's your job as a, as a lawyer to best represent your, your client. And, you know, if you have a good faith basis to, um, to essentially point the finger um, at, at a co-defendant, um, sometimes you have to make that decision. And I'm going to talk a little bit about how the argument is going to be made that that they were trained with the chain of command uh, and some of these officers were actually very junior when it came to uh, experience. But we're talking to Dan Herbert from the Herbert Law Firm, and we'll be back in a minute. This is the Karen County Show on WGN. We're here with Dan Herbert of the Herbert Law Firm, um, and we're talking about the three officers on trial for the federal civil rights charges in, in Minneapolis. And before we go back, and I don't want to dwell on this, but you represented Jason Van Dyke, who is going to be released from jail uh, this week. And I hear a lot of protests and why is he getting out? And I even hear a lot of media getting it wrong. But can you explain to our listeners why he's getting out and whether or not he's getting any favorable uh, preferential treatment or is this just the law? Yeah, and you know, Karen, it's just the law. But the, you know, the, the public, um, for the most part, doesn't doesn't understand this, and, and uh, you know, they wouldn't have any reason to. But um, Illinois is somewhat forgiving um, with respect to uh, state sentences, wherein uh, it is presumed that in a an inmate uh, will receive good time and will have 50% of their sentence commuted so that essentially they're only serving um, 50%. And, and that that 50% is, you know, it's it's given to them essentially uh, unless they lose it. So, um, you know, like a year in prison, if somebody gets sentenced to a year in Illinois Department of Corrections, um, it, it, when they factor in the, the good time and then um, some of the other categories, it comes down to about 65 days in in uh, the IDOC. So, yeah, Van Dyke is not getting any preferential treatment. And, you know, to be quite honest, um, he, he served his full 50 percent, which um, people are um, are angry about. But uh, in reality, for a first time offender, they, they wouldn't even serve 50 percent. They would have been released. Um, earlier and, and perhaps sent to a halfway house. So um, he certainly 
wasn't given any preferential treatment. Yeah, and interesting. Yeah, I just hear that. And I, again, like we maybe you don't uh, the public doesn't like that, or they think she he should have done more time, or what have you. But but that's the law is the law, and I think that to blame the lawyers or even the judge on this one is probably not uh, is probably not a fair thing to do. Going back to these officers in the Minneapolis case, um, so two of them, and I'm not sure <clears throat> I'm reading this from the internet. A um, couple of them were really inexperienced. I think, if I'm saying his name right, is Mr. Hang Huang, was in his third shift as a police officer. Lane was in his fourth day as a police officer. So how do you, how do you make an argument? How do you defend, uh, and how do you use those facts um, in your defense, Dan? Yeah, you use them because, you know, it, it is reality in, in any profession, you know the uh, the old saying that you know new employees are supposed to be um, seen and not heard, and it's probably uh, more um, accurate on the police department um, than many other professions. Um, however, you know this is a situation where at police departments. I know we were talking earlier about chain of command, and you know th- there are um, some strict policies regarding chain of command. And I've had I've represented, you know, dozens of officers who have been charged with insubordination for not following uh, orders of a superior. Um, in this case, you know, essentially, um, I don't know exactly how their their chain of command works, but um, the, the, there wasn't a uh, the Chauvin was not a uh, he wasn't a supervisor. He certainly would not be considered a supervisor for a civil suit. You know, he he had more rank but as far as in the chain of command goes um i think a very strong argument could be made that um that these junior officers were the same rank as chauvin which of course would um undercut the argument that that uh they didn't have a duty to step in you know common sense does say it's it's difficult for um an officer that hasn't been working much to step in and say something but you know i i kind of take the the opposite stance here, and maybe it's because of my background and as a police officer, but, you know, I, as a young police officer, uh, saw things from older officers, and it's just one of those gut feelings. I don't know if you get it from just growing up or how your parents raised you, but you just, you know something's not right, and and you know what? I stepped in on a couple of occasions, and, um, you know, I never got any backlash for it, and I never regretted it in any way, shape, or form. Um, and I guess, you know, I'm just, I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm not, I, I really try very hard to just analyze this from a legal standpoint, not from an emotional or this should be or shouldn't be, should be the outcome. But, you know, I can't imagine how difficult it is. I mean, this case was so egregious. You know, you're watching some guy saying, I can't breathe, and you got people around him saying, hey, I can't breathe. But, um, you know, taking and it's one thing for me, like say I'm a, a junior lawyer and I, I'm watching my my senior partner make an argument that I don't think is right or something. And that's not there's not even any there's that's not even a good analogy because it's not about life or death. But I would never st- stand up and say, "Excuse me, my partner doesn't know what he's talking about." You know, I've been out of law school for two hours and I'm gonna I'm gonna supplant what he says. But I mean, it could present a dangerous situation, right? So I mean, if you if you as a senior a, a junior officer goes. Derek, move over, you know, get off of him. Um, what happens if George Floyd stands up and, yeah, you know, who, I mean, who knows? It could present a dangerous situation, right? To kind of change the, uh, the, the makeup of who's making the decisions. 
it, it could. And, you know, and that's certainly one of the things that is, uh, you know, probably uh, keeping junior officers from speaking out. Um, you know, certainly fearful that, you know, hey, this individual understands these situations better. Perhaps um, if he doesn't do what he's doing, this prisoner will be able to escape or hurt us. Um, so I think that is going to be something that would go through their mind. But, you know, honestly, I think a, a bigger factor um, is going to be how am I, how is my action or inaction going to be perceived by my peers you know you, you definitely want to fit in you want to you want um you want your co-workers to know that you support them but in and that's why you know i think that the distinguishing factor in this case is is time you know even using your analogy with a, a senior lawyer if somebody if a senior lawyer um just makes a you know, completely uh, inappropriate statement during a closing argument or something. Obviously, a junior lawyer is not going to stand up like you said and say, "Jury, disregard that." My my, uh, you know, my partner was out of line there. But if um, if you're witnessing a, a lawyer that that you had respect for and has a good reputation, and you realize that the train is going off the track, and you know, perhaps putting yourself in jeopardy and your client or the law firm that you work for, um, I think it becomes easier um, to to kind of uh, to speak up and and honestly, I really I do think that these junior officers, you know, obviously not knowing the entire scenario, but knowing enough by watching the video, to me it was just here I can understand sitting back for a few moments to assess the situation, but there was so much time here that it was so clear that. Um, that, you know, inaction or action or inaction by Chauvin needed to be taken that um, I think it just comes down to less of police policy and more of just uh, a moral understanding of right and wrong. Right. I mean, you can't take the morality out of the situation. When you watch someone dying, I don't care who it is, I don't care who you are, it's not uh, It's not something that you should allow to happen. One quick question, and then I want to talk about Bank the Blue. The police departments uh, all over the country, <clears throat> I know that you're losing a lot of police officers, there's a lot of suicide. Um, you know, it's hard to be a police officer. I always say, Dan, you know, we as lawyers, we, we make a mistake and we get sued. Uh, we probably have insurance for it. You know, we get up the next morning and have our coffee and we go about our day. But for a police officer, if you make a mistake, you could, number one, be seriously injured or killed. Um, or you can actually go to jail for many, many years if you happen to pull out the wrong gun, the gun instead of the taser or, or fire at the wrong time at the wrong place. So how do you, how would you talk to young police officers about how to really protect themselves and I'm not just talking about civilly, but it's just protecting themselves from prosecution and from, quote, wrongdoing when they're out on their job doing their job. It's so difficult, Karen. And, you you know, you had a great point talking about they're, they're in a profession that they actually have the ability to um, to protect or to uh, take somebody's life based upon um, willful action or or negligence or mistake and you know there's not many professions that find themselves in those situations the closest i could think of would be a doctor where we see that you know doctors 
make mistakes during medical procedures and they result in uh, medical uh, malpractice lawsuits. Uh, extremely, extremely rare uh, is it that a doctor is charged with the murder if he or she were to make a mistake on the operating table. But we, we kind of do have a different standard here with police officers. I mean, a lot of these crimes, uh, there are a lot of these charges that are being brought, um, you know, with, with I'd say the Chauvin case, certainly an exception, but uh, a lot of them are brought on simply mistake, a mistaken um, belief of the severity of the threat, and we're, we're criminalizing mistakes. But we, we can't, uh, you know, I, I, here, what I tell police officers is you can't spend time um, debating the, the appropriateness of the decision to charge based on mistake because it's wasted time. And the fact is, it's a reality now that you can and likely will be charged uh, criminally for a mistake that results in the loss of life. So the advice I give is you have to be just extremely, extremely careful. And, you know, the advice that these young officers are getting which leads to the other point of your question concerning morale, the, the, the advice they're getting is, you know, do as little as possible. Do not put yourself in any um, jeopardy that you can be charged criminally. And I think that is one of the factors that has led to the situation that we're in right now. Dan, I'm so sorry. We're going to have to break I'm, here. I'm going to I'm going to give out your contact information and bank the blue information on the other side. But I just blew right through my time. I want to thank you so much for joining us. We have so much more to talk about, but I appreciate it. Karen, I appreciate right. it. Sorry, I was long winded. No, that, that's okay, Dan. Thank you.